The human soul, the backbone of so many fundamentals to the Jewish faith, is the metaphysical eye of man that separates him from the rest of physical existence. Without it, we would just be another physical process in a vast universe of physicality, a fleeting moment of physical occurrence in a vast history of occurrences. With the soul, however, we have purpose, we are unique, and we are eternal. There are those who deny its existence, but its truth could not have been more evident. I'm Avi Cohen, and this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 6 of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. Sorry it's been such a long time since our last recording, but you know how the Yom Tevin can be. So today we're talking about the soul, the neshama, and we're going to try to prove it, i.e. prove its existence through rational demonstration. And I think a good place to start would be to try to define what is the soul. What do we mean when we say the soul? For this, we will turn to our favorite Jewish sage and philosopher, the Rambam. The Rambam is found in Hilchas Yisodia Torah, the laws of the foundations of Torah, the fundamentals of Torah, in chapter 4, law 8. The Rambam reads as follows, The soul of mortal man is the form that God gave him. This form is the type of intelligence which is found in man who has com- of complete mind. This is the form the Torah referenced when it said, Let us make man in our form, after our image. That's a verse from Beratius. Chapter 1, verse 26. This verse means that man possesses a form which allows him to cognize abstract ideas. The Ram continues in the next halacha. This form of man is not composed of physical elements. Rather, it comes from God, from heaven. Therefore, when a body, which is composed of elements, decomposes, this form is not destroyed. Rather, it contains knowledge and conceptions about abstract ideas and conceives of the creator, and everything, and therefore eternally exists. What is the Rambam telling us the soul is? The Rambam is defining the human soul as a being which does not belong to the physical world, given to us by God, which allows us to conceive of abstract ideas. What are abstract ideas? Abstract ideas are conceptions that have no physical form. So let's take our favorite example, a chair. Let's pretend it's a wooden chair. So the physical chair would be the wood material which is in the shape of legs, a seat, a backing, whatever you like to call a chair. The abstraction of chair would be the idea of this chair that I just described, which is in your mind. So I assume as you're listening, you have an image of this chair. That is the abstraction of chair. Meaning, when you go tell your friend about this lovely chair that I just described to you, you must have this information available in your mind. There's obviously not a physical chair in your mind, unless you have some sort of problem. This chair that is in your mind, is the abstraction. That's one form of abstraction of chair, where it's merely the idea of a physical chair, just not in its physical form, in the idea, in the its idea form, meaning in your head, as a memory, or as an image. Another form of abstraction of chair is the concept chair. Meaning, a person understands the category of chair, and therefore can see a similarity between a wooden and a metal chair, right? I understand what a chair is. And I know that metal chairs and wooden chairs are both chairs. They're exactly the same chairs. They Meaning, they share chairness exactly the same. They both fall into the category of chair in an equal manner. Even though they are physically not the same thing at all. This category of chair within which I place both wooden, metal, or plastic chairs. So this category within a person's mind is the abstraction of the concept chair. Now, this also applies to events. The physical occurrence of the event, as it happened within the physical world, 
would be the body of the event. The mental memory and idea of that event would be the form without the body. In fact, this is what the Rambam meant when he said forms without bodies. And as we'll see in a second, he says so quite explicitly. This is in the same chapter, but it's in Halacha Zion, which is Law 7. The Ram says, It is impossible to physically see a form without matter, right? You can't see the idea of cheer. The concept of cheer without physical manifestation you can't see, continues the Rambam. Rather, these forms are only visible to the mind's eye. So the Rambam is saying exactly what we are saying. The forms without bodies are the ideas and the conceptions that is found within the mind of the human. Now, this non-physical mind, given to us by God, that is able to conceive of these ideas and contain them, is what we would call the soul. That's our definite soul that we're going to be running with. Now, this idea of a soul is obviously going to cause a problem for people known as materialists. What is a materialist? A materialist is a person who supports the theory that nothing exists except matter and its movements and modifications. In simple terms, this is someone who believes that all that exists is physicality and all of its effects. They do not believe in what we would call non-physical or heavenly entities. Now, in general, materialists would have to be an atheist. Because if you don't believe in anything outside of physical, you obviously don't believe in God because God is not physical. However, not all atheists have to be materialists. Because just like one can hold that physicality always existed, God forbid, without a creator, so too you can hold that non-physical beings always existed without a creator. So being an atheist doesn't mean that you hold of only physicality. However, my impression is, is that most atheists happen to also be materialists. So obviously the materialist, the materialist is not going to like this soul idea. But here's the problem. The materialist has to somehow explain the non-physical consciousness of man. Meaning, the mental representation of physical existence that dwells within the mind of man is going to be something that's hard to explain if you're using only physica- physical terms. Because again, it doesn't seem to be physical. This is what's known as the hard problem of consciousness. Um, and it is, there's a lot of, of philosophy that relates to how one deals with this problem. We're going to, we're going to address the two general approaches of the materialist, and we're going to try to explain how neither one could work. And then we're going to prove that the soul must exist and it is not physical in the way the Rambam describes. So stay tuned. So in simple terms, what I'm trying to say, the problem with the materialist is that the materialist has explained what the mind is. After all, you cannot pick up what goes on in the mind. You can't smell it. You can't see it. There isn't a physical cheer in my head. So what in physicality would account for the experience of human consciousness? Because again, there's nothing physical about my consciousness. You can't pick it up. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't measure it. It is my experience that is not accessible to anybody else. However, the materialist who holds everything as physical is going to have to explain this somehow. So there's two approaches that the materialist, the materialist, I said Russian in that one, that the materialist uses. A, the mind is an illusion. That's his first route. That in fact, there is no such thing as consciousness. It is merely an illusion. And B, the route they go, a different route, is the mind is actually wholly physical. So that means that even though it seems like the consciousness is non-physical, it is actually merely a product of physical happenings, which we're going to see they hold is the firing of neurons within the brain. And we don't have to get into the science there. Basically, the physicality of the brain can account, can solely account for the non-physicality of the mind. 
So let's address one at a time. So the first way the materialist goes is they hold that the mind is an illusion. So we're first going to have to dispel that notion, which won't be hard, but we're going to have to do it. So this notion would state that there's no actual consciousness. You're just imagining it. You're imagining consciousness. Therefore, we have no problem where consciousness emerged from, for it doesn't exist. So now, this is going to be very problematic. Why? So I think you probably already know. In order for the mind, i.e. consciousness, to be an illusion, you would need to be conscious of that illusion in the first place. Right? So this would, of course, require a real form of consciousness, because I'm clearly conscious of the fact that I'm having an illusion of consciousness, and if that's also an illusion, I would still have to be conscious of the fact that I was having an illusion, that I was having an illusion, i.e., I must be conscious of said illusion. So even if consciousness is an illusion, I'm still conscious of that illusion, and that consciousness has to be real, because if it's all an illusion, then I wouldn't be having it. Um, this is the basic idea of Descartes, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this horribly, but cogito ergo sum, which I think is some other language for, I think, therefore I am. Fortunately for mankind, I was not the first one to point out this flaw. Perhaps the greatest representation of this idea, this flaw in saying that consciousness is illusion, came from theologian David Bentley Hart. Simply enough, this is a quote, simply enough, you cannot suffer the illusion that you are conscious because illusions are possible only for conscious minds. This is so incandescently obvious that it is almost embarrassing to have to state. End quote. So it seems like consciousness cannot merely be an illusion, right? That was a bad road to go down. Believe it or not, there are people who are known to be some of the world's smartest philosophers who actually said such a thing. You can look it up. His name is Dan Dennett. Um, but obviously this idea is not true at all and is absurd. Okay, why is it not true? Like we said, there needs to be an actual conscious person to have this illusion. So again, we're going to have the consciousness problem. So let's shift to the more realistic option for the materialist, which is the mind as a wholly physical product, which means the mind, the non-physical mind, is totally made up of, or totally accounted for, by the physicality of the human brain, the very physical matter of the brain. Famous naturalist philosopher Galen Strawson perhaps sums this idea up best. Quote, Naturalism states that everything that concretely exists is entirely natural. Nothing supernatural or otherwise non-natural exists. Given that we know that conscious experience exists, thank you, we must as naturalists suppose that it is wholly natural. And given that we are specifically materialist, as almost all naturalists are, we must take it that conscious experience is wholly material or physical. And so we should. Because beyond reasonable doubt, we are going to reasonably doubt this, but it is beyond reasonable doubt that experience is wholly a matter of neural going on, goings on. Wholly natural and wholly physical. This is Galen Strawson in the article he wrote for the New York Times book review called The Consciousness Deniers. In more simple terms, what this view holds is that conscious experience, i.e. my memories, the image of the chair in my head, and my thoughts, are all caused by a completely physical phenomenon of neurons firing within my brain. Okay, so now, aside from the fact that there's no way to prove this idea that is purely physical, right, you cannot prove that there's only one cause for something. You cannot rule out other causes for consciousness. 
merely failing to pick up on them is not proving that they do not exist. So you can't prove that this, that you cannot prove that physicality is all that is responsible for consciousness. But on the flip side, I think we can show that this idea is in fact quite false. So now we're going to get to a final stage of this podcast where we're going to disprove that the mind could be simply physical. Okay, so something can't come from nothing, right? This is pretty standard logical thinking. Now, this does not mean that something, that from absolute nothingness, something cannot emerge, right? It doesn't mean that if you have absolutely zero, nothing could come out. That is something from nothing in its most basic form. There are more complex and nuanced versions of something from nothing, which are also impossible. For example... If all I have is metal, I cannot produce wood. Now, this is also a form of something from nothing, even though metal is not nothing, right? I have metal, that's a something, but I still cannot produce wood from that something. Four, to produce wood from metal would be to produce something from nothing and therefore impossible because there's nothing about metal that is wood and therefore the production of wood out of metal would be from nothing because there's nothing about metal that is wood. Another example of something from nothing would be ad revenue for my listeners because I don't have many. So my ad revenue from listeners, this joke is going on too long. Now, however one wants to claim consciousness comes about, we could agree on one thing. It's not physical. The ideas and memories in my head, which make up my consciousness, have no basis in physicality and cannot be perceived in any of the ways that physicality can. So again, to repeat, I don't care what you want to say at this point consciousness comes from. We can all agree the experience of consciousness is not a physical experience. You cannot pick up my thoughts. You can see neurons firing, but that is not my thoughts. You cannot pick up my thoughts. So now, even if one would say that the movement of physical neurons is what consciousness is, and that could be measured, the actual experience of consciousness, i.e. the conscious aspect of consciousness, would, cannot be measured. There's no, there's no experiment, experiment that will allow a person to pick up on my consciousness. They may be able to pick up that I am conscious right now, but they cannot actually pick up the details, the content of my consciousness. Therefore, running with this idea that consciousness can be produced by the physical movement of neurons is going to cause a logical problem. And any time we're going to cause a logical problem means what we're running with, what we are running with is not uh, able to be run with. So, if all I have in my brain is physicality, yet the consciousness of mind is not physical, then in order for the physicality of mind to be responsible for the non-physicality of consciousness would require the impassable wall of nothing to something to be broken. See, even though the movement of neurons is something, there is nothing non-physical about it. It's physical. It's physical neurons moving. Therefore, it cannot produce the non-physical phenomena of consciousness. Because non-physicality cannot come from physicality. Because there is nothing non-physical about physicality. Therefore, for non-physicality to come about from physicality would be for the wall, the impassable wall of something to nothing to be broken. Because, er, nothing to something to be broken. Because there's nothing about non-physicality within physicality. So, our only remaining conclusion is that our consciousness require a non-physical reality as a backdrop for its occurrence. Therefore... Being as each individual human is conscious and does not have access to my experience of consciousness, at least that's what they tell me, they must each possess a unique aspect of non-physicality that is special to them. Because again, they are conscious. Consciousness is not physical. That can't be caused by the physical 
at least solely by the physical movement of neurons in the brain, because you need the non-physicality to emerge from somewhere. Therefore, they must have an aspect of them, which is non-physicality, so you don't run into the something from nothing problem. Now, being as consciousness takes the form of ideas, i.e. the mental representation of chair in my head, or the mental memory of the event of yesterday, this non-physical aspect must be susceptible to the acquisition of those ideas. Because when I'm conscious, I have ideas. So this non-physical backdrop, which allows me to have non-physical consciousness, must also be able to um, be produced as the form of ideas, because consciousness takes the form of ideas. So this non-physical entity is what we religious people would like to call the soul. Now, obviously, to understand the soul in all of its details, we're going to need tradition, right? The fact that it goes to heaven, uh, the fact that it might exist before our body, and all the nice details that we have in our Masora about the Neshama, in our tradition about the soul. But at the very least, we've proven there is a non-physical entity related to man which can acquire ideas, and we've proved so logically. So to know all of its details, you might need a tradition, but to know its very existence, all you need is a mind and access to Jewish thought flow. So if you want to do your friends a favor, please share this podcast so they can have access to it. If you're on iTunes and haven't already given us five stars, please give us five stars. Please continue to share it. Please continue to listen and have a good rest of your week.